Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Big welcome to Season 6, where we continue to explore coaching, learning and development. As usual, my guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. I'll now hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me and listeners. I'm delighted to be here today. Jenny Cody or Jenny Co. I keep doing this old name, new married name thing. Uh, Jenny Co. And today I'm going to talk about a book that uh, Dr. Amy White and I were privileged to edit that came out at Christmas time. It's got a vast amount, I think 36 contributors across 12 different countries. And it covers 20 of the key areas, um, not all, but key areas of coaching misconceptions and myths. So it's myths of sports coaching book is what I'm going to talk about today and pull some things out of it and share from my editing and, and listening to the authors and the snippets that they've shared with us on each chapter and diving into them. I'm not an expert in any of the chapters, but uh, I'm living and breathing in the in the work that I do some of the stuff. So it'd be great to share some of that today. Fantastic. Jen, just give us a rundown. What, what is your day job? Where have you come from? How have you got here? Sorry, that's helpful. Right. OK. Uh, currently, I work with West Ham women's uh, football team. Um, I'm head of performance there and well-being. And that is a really big umbrella term for many, many things. But it's the, the primary role I have at the morning at, at the moment, keeping well-being on the agenda, as well as looking at the support to the MDT team and looking at um how we can in, bring our performance to the next level of sport as the, the side of female football grows. Big advocate for women in sport and mental health. Um, and my, my background comes from basketball as a player and a, a coach internationally. And the area of performance analysis is an area I spent a lot of time in. So I tried to marry a lot of, of what I've done there. Um, yeah, and the accent will give it away. I'm in London eight years in August, having done a few dots around the world. So yeah, I'm calling this place home at the moment and really excited to, yeah, to see what the next few years hold as I go into different, different pockets. Fantastic. Thanks, Jen. Uh, Liz, over to you. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so I'm Liz Birkinshaw. I'm learning and development professional, uh, do a bit of freelance work, have a, also a day job. I'm an innovation officer. Um, I've worked in coaching, education, outdoor ed for nearly 30 years now. Um, and I'm currently Yorkshire-based, have been for the past 20 years, but via Australian. Not sure my accent's up there with Jenny's, but um, it does come out if I get a bit stressed and overexcited. Well, I hope it's overexcited that brings it out today, not, not stress. So um, absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, just before we get stuck into things, just a reminder to anyone listening to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly to the links for all the content that we discussed today. So, uh, Jen, we are coming to you first. Far away. Okay, so the, I'm not going to go over where the book came from. But what I am going to share is the experience that I've had putting it together with Amy and then the aftermath, because I think they're key. The, the one thing that I found as we were going through the chapters is some of the stuff that underpins what I did was challenged throughout that. And I have spent the last, well, in the UK, I've spent the last six years in, 
in high performance sport and working in grassroots and other sports and then in education before that. So I had seen um, some of these myths bouncing around in those spaces. But actually, when I picked up a chapter and on a couple of areas that I maybe was a little bit rusty or didn't need to dive into, it then made me stop and think. And it is the type of book that you can pick and drop. And that's what I love about it. When we went to ask the authors about contributing, this gender problem, uh, but what we did ask is that they, as I said, recorded a QR code so that we could put a face to the name and they could give us a little bit more or their version of a summary. And we asked to have a section at the end that had practical implications. And that's the key part that I've been able to take into the, we feel like vehicle for conversation, into the conversations with coaches. There's two key parts in this book. There's the part around awareness that challenges people, people's awareness, the social and personal awareness, and then there's and professional. And then there's the other part is about the thread that goes the whole way through each chapter and is the person. Do you know the people in front of you? Do you know what their needs and desires are? Do you uh, have the tools to be able to support them? And then in the words of Anna Stoddard's work, the biography, do you know your own biography? Do you know like what we know, what we've experienced in your own life, your knowledge, where that comes from that helps you and puts you in this position? Um, and if we ask these questions of ourselves as we're going through the book, which some people have fed back already, this type of like, how come I find this difficult or how come I've been doing that, like kind of exploring that when you put a chapter down, this type of self-reflexive position can lead us and lead people to exploring patterns and those patterns within our personal history can lead us or aid us to understanding why we might do something in a professional or personal way. And, and that's not written in any of the chapter parts, like when you talk about the brilliant chapter on resilience that talks about resilience being the responsibility of the individual or um, resilience only occurring in the face of adversity or negative life events, or you go to the the functional movement chapter or the deliberate practice chapter like they're all real meat on the bones of stuff that people are living and breathing in the world of coaching but it does have the thread of go back to the person in front of you and then also where are you at where are you at in your understanding of this and that self-awareness piece now the other little addition to that is then the support structure because what in anything I read, whether it's an academic paper, um, something on social media, a webinar that I attend, like they're lovely events to go to. And uh, there's a lovely PDF and there's a lovely piece of paper. But what about the how part that brings it to life? And what we didn't want to have in the book is that people pick this up and they go through the whole 20 chapters and they get to the end of it and they go, um, oh, gosh, I didn't know anything about anything. Or actually, do you know what? I know everything about everything. Extremes, obviously. And then what if they did identify something that needed to be challenged or changed, how to do it, who was going to help them challenge it, how they were going to get to that position where they said, oh, you know what, I have been cruel to be kind. I thought that if I keep nudging someone and I have this um, um, threshold that I'm trying to challenge, then they're going to be better. I'm going to squeeze the lemon and I'm going to get the most out of them and then they will love me for doing that because that's how I show care. And I mean, it isn't you know, like there's loads more in that chapter, but it's it's people kind of picking and dropping different chapters, even if they're just entices and sticky hooks at the start to lead them on to. Well, actually, what do I know about nutrition? Well, if you are a parent and you read the parents chapter, oh, OK, what did I think was happening there and what's actually happening? Or um, 
uh, gosh, there's loads of stuff in there. A uh, kettle of fish and stepping stone. Women are a different kettle of fish. How often we've heard that banded around. Great chapter for us to dive into and actually think, well, is it the person? Am I seeing the person? What are their needs? Um, how influenced have I been by social media, et cetera, et cetera. The stepping stone, great chapter there where we look and think about or get a chance to think about people who are coming into women's sport and using as a platform or launch pad for something else. Um, so yeah, there's there's a, a massive, and I can go, you know, we can see where this takes us in the conversation. But um, you know, it is it's it's a shameless promotion of the book, but the bigger part of it is that Amy and I had the absolute privilege of just putting it together. So I can say it's brilliant because I didn't write any of the chapters, but we we put a few together and padded up a few bits and pieces, but that's what I think at the moment we're, we're going to do. We're going to continue on, which I'll share later, um, the, the individual chapters and bringing those to the next level. But for now, I think the learning part for me in this whole thing was, even though I'm in sport and have been embedded in it, reading on a regular basis, trying to upskill and, and understand what I do, there was still stuff that when I went into the chapters that challenged my way of thinking. Um, so and the language is accessible as well as the kind of the feel of the book and the picking and dropping, as I keep saying, of each chapter. Just wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I mean, loads to get, I guess, kind of stuck into there. But I just think the fact you've thought about it as a maybe a little bit of a manual almost, you know, what I mean, it's as you said, it's interactive. You can connect with the people, you can go and find them. And then there's practical outcomes as well. I, I just think that the, the more of that type of stuff and the the more people like you make stuff like this accessible it's not so i see it all the time it's, it's that social media piece of everyone's going well where do i learn stuff and you know research papers for some people can be so inaccessible and so difficult and kind of just i think this is this is that brilliant middle space where it's it's as you say it's experts but it's put to put together in a way that just means actually anybody whether it's your first day on the job as a coach or you've been there for 20 years can can pick it up and engage with it and and learn some stuff and challenge which is um just wonderful so yeah well done um i my first question um so you talked about the kind of the awareness and um the kind of the nature of that around the individual and, and those types of things how bearing in mind you could spend your whole life trying to understand yourself and not get very far like how how do we distill this down because I, I always still struggle with this even understanding me let alone getting into understanding one other person or the 30 people in front of me at a session in the hour and a half three hours a week five hours a week we might get to engage with them like how do you go about that how do the guys in the book talk about that what are your guys thoughts on that because it's so crucial we all know it's so crucial and there's probably no shortcuts but i'm wondering how we can do that better because it, it can feel like an impossible challenge that you're just never going to get right you know it's a really good question and um i don't think there's any easy way to do it um if i think about um if i think about this book and there's um a bazillion people who don't know what's out there then how do they, if they pick up random terms on different formal calls that they go to, how do they actually go back to the environments that they're in that might not be supportive? Um, they might have five other jobs and actually it isn't a priority for them to become deeply self-aware to do an under 14s coaching session on a Sunday morning for an hour. You know, like really can I, they're having, you know, my, my version of uh, fun, they're smiling, they're doing this, so let's get on and get it done. And I think um, it's a necessity for people to become more self-aware be because 
when you look at why people start doing why you know starting understanding why they're doing what they do then they'll go back to well I, I entered it because my child was in it or I played the sport before or um I just got interested in coaching in in uni or I did a course and I picked it up so people have different entry points to doing this but they're definitely not coming in thinking I want to make millions here I want to support a group in front of me for whatever reason it is um, to go from A to B or beyond. And I want to enjoy this experience of doing it. Do I want to wear 50 hats and feel like I need to be a psychologist and a strength and conditioning person um, and a person who knows how to wash kit and lay the cones down and collect the balls and do all this stuff? Um, not really, but we are sometimes landed with that. But I think a good starting point is for people to look at who is in their support network. And if all those people are in the same sporting bubble as you, then you're lacking a bit of diversity and you're lacking an opportunity to che check and challenge the way you think. And that could be as simple as writing it down on a piece of paper or scrolling through a social media if you are on social media and looking at the type of people that you are following or that are following you and try and see if you can go a little bit to the left or a little bit uh, to the right. That would be the same for webinars. I think re um, reflection is really important and there's a good chapter in the book on this as well I think the reflection part is are you pausing so let's say we up the ante a little bit from one hour on a Sunday to maybe you're working in an academy or you're doing multiple hours with people in different environments but coaching or teaching is becoming um, a bigger part of your week then are you pausing to reflect and think on about how did that message land with somebody and I think if you look at kind of change in itself if we become less certain of the positions that we hold then we are more likely to become receptive to the other possibilities. And what I'm finding over and over again on different areas of interest that I'm exploring and learning about and developing, there's the awareness part. There's then a bit of trust, trusting what you don't know is, you know, you're exploring something new, trusting others to take you on this journey, trusting yourself to take that step forward. Um, and then there's this, um, like, is there, is there a only one way? Is there a right and wrong? And I get this a lot or hear this a lot when I'm participating in other events. You know, is it this or this, Jen? Is it right or wrong? Or they'll ask the person hosting or delivering, you know, well, is it this and this? So they can leave that because people ask you what your takeaways are all the time and people feel under pressure to have an answer that they, they must have the right answer. Now, I don't know if that comes from kind of the institution that we come from in education, where there must be a definite answer because then I can be right and wrong and then I can have proof on my page, as opposed to just being really informed. There's a multitude of ways. And I know Liz with the creative and innovation uh, stuff that she's going to come into as well. It's thinking in a different way about something, but also that the position that you hold. I'm coming in here thinking that the best... Um, the best post-it color is yellow <laughs> and someone might go but have you tried pink and have you tried blue because actually they might pop in a different way it's a really silly example but it's you know or or finding out that there's certain hacks life hacks on your phone or on the toaster which I found out and I use that example a lot like in my 30s finding out that the numbers are actually minutes on the toaster where what rock have I been living under you know but in that way of like opening your mind when you buy a phone, when you buy a laptop, who leaves it on the default settings, those kind of opportunities to see beyond what you know, but you don't know you don't know that until you have this curiosity. So 
a long-winded answer to the support network being a vital part, knowing why you're doing what you do, journaling, reflecting, pausing on your experience to just not necessarily have an articulate, refined, you know, print or manuscript in front of you, but just feeling your way through that. How did I feel about this and where can I go with this? And then, and then going back to the book, some of those encounters that you'll have in your coaching session, in your planning, in your perception of what deliberate practice is, or if you were in the stage of information processing theory where you thought everything should be done a certain way, a golf swing, a certain way, a basketball shot, a certain way. And now we're looking at, you know, ecological dynamics and the dynamic systems way of, of looking at things. Okay, there's a new way of doing things. There's a new way of looking. So I've got to trust me, trust the other people around me and see if we can go on this journey. You've answered that brilliantly. So my, my kind of follow up to that is I think awareness becomes a little bit of a, a two way mirror in, in my mind. It's in terms of we're looking back at ourselves, but we're also holding that mirror up to the person that we're working with and and actually do. Do we need to kind of measure awareness? Like, is there a way that we can measure it? And what would be the benefit of it? Because again, I think you've, you've answered really nicely then, and Liz, jump in as well, by all means. It's, it's so important, and we love measuring certain things in coaching and certain things in sport, but when it comes to this type of stuff, it, it kind of just gets left a little bit to the periphery almost, and you kind of feel like, I guess, over a, a, a fairly lengthy period of time, you can go, oh, well, I definitely didn't know this stuff back then, and I'm more self-aware now, but there aren't those little like tick boxes along the way where you go like, yeah, awareness completed that bit. And, and I've done this. And I just, I wonder how we might be able to help people better kind of measure that because you're only ever looking at you back in the mirror and you don't necessarily see the changes that other people might see in you. So is it about feedback? Like, I just think it's a really interesting dynamic that probably gets overlooked quite a lot of the time so i'd be really interested in your guys thoughts on um yeah do we need to measure it and if so how how we can go on let's jump in so i think that's a really interesting question because awareness can feel really woolly and untangible and kind of a magic power if that makes sense but for me i know i'm really i'm more aware when i notice things so I can have days where just the day is very default, automatic, off I go, nothing, I don't really think too much about different things. And then there are other days where I'm like, oh, I didn't notice that before. That's how I know I've got awareness. So it might be about another person who's maybe in a session, or it might be about myself of, oh, I'm feeling a bit this way, or that's a new thought, or I'd not noticed that before. I think if you become aware and pay attention to what is a what you kind of are, surprised by or wowed by or shocked by so some of those ones that shock you out of your kind of default behavior of doing what you've always done because it's always worked and I think that's really a really interesting way of thinking have I had awareness so for anyone who's listening when was the last time that you were shocked by something delighted by something overjoyed felt a bit even even anger don't be frightened of some of those emotions which we've kind of stereotyped as being bad actually they tell us something either about ourselves or about the people we're working with. And I think that's really useful when, we, when we're wanting to coach people, who, the people who are in front of us. Um, we just need to be curious. We don't need to know every single person and all the stories that they bring because we don't all reveal everything about ourselves all the time. And sometimes it's circumstance that will reveal different things. As long as we're curious and we know that pe people are different to us and we're not all the same. So, you know, all rugby players are this. So try and avoid stereotyping and just be curious, be happy to ask questions. 
and basically be told something that you didn't know before and you know part of that is also the, the self-awareness of accepting that you don't know everything about everyone in front of you definitely definitely have that issue quite a lot of the time um <laughs> i just wrote down i wonder you know i i think this brilliant example is almost are you living it or are you experiencing it and and experiencing it for me would almost be that step removed of I'm aware of my awareness, right? So now I'm looking at whether that's kind of an out-of-body experience or whether you're just looking at yourself through another set of eyes. It's that kind of just within your own mind going, I'm thinking this, but I'm now consciously aware that I'm thinking this and then looking at those triggers and, and perhaps the why, or are you just in the moment and feeling the emotion or the the stress or whatever it might be, that the feelings that come with that. And I I guess it's probably there's no right or wrong, but it's it's maybe trying to assess where you spend more of your time. I, I if you if you were only ever kind of experiencing stuff and you're only ever awareness, like I'm not sure how engaged you would be with everything that's actually happening like on the grass or on the pitch or what do you know what I mean? It's kind of you just you just constantly be this philosophical guru that's not really doing anything whereas at some point we've probably got to live this thing and actually get stuck in and just go with some of those feelings and manage them but I, I don't yeah I don't know if there's a right answer at all there but I, I guess it's an interesting interesting one I think there's also something in that um just to definitely tail on to what Liz has said there about variability and with the curiosity like um I mean, I live in London, which is a very scheduled A to B, you know, people moving at, you know, pace in one direction and you get your job done, you move and you know, this pace of life is really, really fast if you want it to be, you know, but it's hard, hard not the closer you get to the city. But there's an option, there's an opportunity to do something different. So we can choose to go with a park at the back of the house. Really simple example. We can choose to go to that park, beautiful park on the water every single day, morning, weekend. Um, but me and my wife decided that on the day off together, we will find a different park and we will drive. And we found, you know, the last 10, 12 weeks, 10 different parks to go to. And then we talk about what we noticed there. So it goes a little bit back to the support network. So the support people. So who, you know, who are you following? What are they talking about? Nick Shackleton Jones um, talks a lot about the emotion that's connected the, the connection between emotion and learning and the emotion, the emotional reaction to it. So again, a couple of weeks ago, went to go into London to go to an event, very excited, all dressed up, you know, nothing could go wrong. Amazing. Got on the train and there was a fire at one of the stations. Then I was going to be late. The booking was going to be delayed. I was underground. I couldn't call. Panic starts to come over. And I was worried in that moment that that if I didn't control this anxiety that was building, that was going to capture and overwhelm the event in London. But then we found a different way to get there and we got off early and we walked and we saw different things. And then we laughed and said, oh, you know, it all works out. Um, but it's that, again, another example. So there's a park and what I'm noticing and choosing to go in different directions. Um, there's these, you know, different people that you follow and how you're choosing to go. And, and if you pick up a chapter, say Brendan Cropley, Cropley's chapter on coaching is a 24 seven job as you're reading that just the one chapter and you're saying that it's out of date to go in and work a 14 hour day coaching does not need to be that and you do not need to boast if you haven't had you know 16 hours under your belt and then you think of yourself and what you're doing and what's expected it's not as easy to go back to your boss and say hey the book said this so I'm not doing it but it's that moment that aha moment that Liz is talking about that you go right hang on here a minute somebody here who's researched it endlessly with his crew has said this 
look at myself what do I need to do to then take it to the next level go and continue and reading and I brought that back to coaching but I think like Liz has nailed it those those ooh ah moments that what has inspired me what has interested me today what would I like to invest more time in that kind of stuff do you think there's a danger of our imagined future just taking over? So I, I take, you know, take your your walk, your expectation of a really great event in London. Does that almost then become a and and you said you notice different stuff as you got off early, which I, I I think is brilliant. But I wonder how many people would be like, got to get there. We're going to be late. I'm just going to put head down and focus because I know I need to get to the end point where my you know I've imagined this wonderful experience and then maybe it's not quite as great an experience because it doesn't live up to the billing, right? So there's there's a, there's a huge amount of disappointment that comes from those types of things. And I, I feel like that happens a lot. And that's definitely something that kind of comes back in conversations around coaching quite regularly. And it's not it's not just outcome related. Do you know what I mean? It, it can just be session based. So I, I've, I've imagined this wonderful session and I've got this fantastic plan and all, all the bells and whistles and then I've got four kids or something. Do you know what I mean? Just it, it never goes to plan. I just wonder how much we we potentially set ourselves up to be disappointed. I was going to say failure, but I don't think it is a failure. It's probably just a disappointment. And actually, are we are we better off trying to find ways to to respond, live a little bit more in the moment without that being a huge cliche? Um, and again, just sounding very philosophical, but I, I just, yeah, is, is there dangers of being too much involved in what we think will happen? I mean, two of us are, well, and, you, and yourself eventually frantically nodding ahead, along with you, Phil, there, because what it has become is a steam train of what you should do and what you should be and what you should know and how you should do it. And then there is 500 parents on the sideline. I mean, that's exaggerated, obviously, but 500 parents on the sideline who always say, oh, why are they doing that? Why are they doing this? Oh, my child touched the ball six times, four times, nine times, 11 times. Everything is data and driven and, and captured. Now, again, very extreme, but you'll have this kind of stuff packing up. You'll then have somebody who's employed this person or even if it's a volunteer monitoring and instead of trying to understand the intent of the person, instead of trying to reframe the measure of success, we're on a steam train to get to the outcome. So if I'm going back to the event in London, I get on a train at point A, we go in, I plan my session, I'm going to the session, something happens. And I, instead of having a meltdown, I've got to realize personally, this is what's building up inside of me. Four kids have turned up. The bus is late. We've lost the kit. Um, somebody's got sent off or whatever it is. Similar scenario. I don't want to be sweating when I get to the event and frustrated and claustrophobic because somebody has curled their way on top of me in a tube to squeeze in beyond the door. Just like I don't want to put my anxiety on the kids in front of me because they came there to have a jolly and to ho hopefully learn something. If it's an adult, I'll still argue the have fun and have a jolly as well as learn something. So it's about that piece of how can I just look at the other ways to approach this? How can I give myself a pause moment before I get there? And how can I just enjoy the journey? Cliched and all as it is, enjoy the journey because I'm banging on every day at the girls at West Ham, the women at West Ham and the coaching staff enjoying the journey. Stop calling winning or, or you know, getting points on the board, moving up the table. Stop focusing on that everything we do is for that but if we keep putting the weight of the world on everything we do with the a win a win a win a win we're losing sight of the role models we're losing sight of the things we're overcoming we're losing sight of 
the incredible environments that we're privileged to be in, our health and all that lovely, wonderful stuff. Just like us getting off a little bit early, find another little pokey street in London to walk down, very cool little shops and all this. Then we get there and we go, oh, do you know what? A few minutes late, but it wasn't that little walk lovely in the street nice. It's small, a small little example, but I definitely have to be that way because it's so easy in the chaos of London to get wrapped up in time watching as it is when you go into an elite environment to go, right, we need this, this and this done. Move, 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 you know. It's interesting uh, listening to you, Jenny. So I was there thinking just if, if one behaviour, a new behaviour, anyone listening on this could just be um, to just look for three, three things they're grateful for. So what is it that they're grateful for um, that's happened in the session or the day in that week? Um, rather than focusing on focusing on the outcome, we're so conditioned. Oh, and when you get to GCSEs, then you'll be happy. Oh, and then when you go to college, then you'll be happy. And then when you go to house, then you'll be happy. But and and we have we have this culturally, and different cultures have different kind of markers for this. But I I've grown up in Australia and I've lived in the UK for a while. Um, and it is when you get this thing, then you will feel happy. And most people don't. And I won't go down the happiness route. Another thing you could do is just sort of review your day or review your week and look at you know the three T's. So what trial, what triumph and what trivia have you had this week? So yeah, you can acknowledge that something went wrong. So, so Jen, you're kind of the journey not going right might've been the trial, but actually there's a triumph in there somewhere. And there might be a bit of trivia in there as well. The trivia could be something funny, could be unusual. You've never seen it before. Um, and just noticing those things. I come back to noticing all the time because I think it helps us to come out of our own mind and see the world around us. And then we are able to see other people's points of view. But yeah, that, 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 they're my two top tips, really. Do, do the three T's of what's the trial, triumph and trivia, or just do three things that you're grateful for. You know, three good things today. What's, what, what are they being? I love that. Yeah, as, as practical activities, I think I think that's a great way just to, as you say, take yourself out of the moment and, and just reflect and, and I guess, yeah, ultimately be aware. So I, it's funny, I was just thinking, I, I often have that feeling when I'm in New York, Jen, when, you know, the London bit where I feel like I'm the only, because I'm there on holiday, I'm the only person in the city that isn't in a rush to be somewhere. So I'm just kind of, you know, strolling along and just enjoying the, the holiday and looking at everything and looking up and, you know, taking in the tall buildings and everybody else is just, no, 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 got to get to work, got to be here. And it's just, it's an incredible feeling. And maybe that's why holidays are wonderful because we don't spend enough of our time doing doing that in our normal daily routine. Just to help you get your training thought back, I did hold up the camera at Mirage this idea of like getting to that space Liz I love that example that you had there just like I'll just get my master's I'll just get to this I'll just that and then you know the Dunning-Kruger effect oh no I'm grand I know everything then you're gonna dig a little bit more you go oh I don't know anything about anything what's happening but it is that it's that you know okay with, with where you are and then wanting to do it because it's a nice thing to do not a feel like you should or need to i need to get this extra coaching qualification i need to get this need to get and all of a sudden life has passed you by you know I, I, that's where i was going to go you, you've wonderfully reminded me thank you um just about if if you know you were talking about the the whole the nature of we put too much pressure on ourselves to get outcomes right and i, I if there's one thing and in inverted commas i could prove in sport that it's the more we focus on the kind of the process, the better the outcome is going to be. 
right? Because, and, and I, I, you said, you see this all the time, certainly in professional sport and high performance. And, and I guess with maybe starting to see a little bit of a societal shift in terms of, you know, gold medals and championships aren't worth abuse and suicide and, and all these terrible things that come with it. And I, I just wonder why there isn't more evidence um, for process works. Like, why are we still obsessed with, with just however you get to the outcome, get to the outcome? And, and I don't know if that's human nature. Like, I've got, I've got no real definitive either way, but it just seems to be why when pressure comes on, why when people have expectation, do, do people divert to let's just go with outcome rather than understanding because i i would believe that to the you know my dying day that if we focus on the process the, the likelihood of the outcome is better but i just i just can't prove it at the moment and I'd, I'd love to be able to but i don't i don't know i'm just i'm fascinated as to why that seems to always be our default position in in the main if i can say one thing um before liz um uh, shares her areas with us there's a talk I, I participated in the other day and some of the research that came back was that 18% of the companies that had been part of this insight report, 18% of these companies um, lead with empathy and a kind of an authentic um, cultural environment. I know lots of words there that we know, but actually do we know what they mean when you live and breathe them, but only 18%. And this, the topic of the thing that I was participating in was uh, leading with love. And actually, if we take that same scenario that you're talking about, the process and the outcome, and we make it less clinical, is it just about leading with care and nourishment? And is it just about enjoying ourselves as we do something? And one of the ladies, Elena, that was on it, she's from Mars, not Mars, Mars, the company. <laughs> and she was talking about how she's she's done that. She's implemented it. So there's still accountability. Um and she is everybody's still working and but they feel valued and they feel a sense of belonging. And it's back to, again, another term like the psych safety. But actually, when you look inside that, what is that? It's opportunities for people to be heard, spaces for people to connect, somebody to facilitate and understand the norms of an interaction. In my world, it's understanding banter and football's version of banter and eradicating and getting rid of some words that are really horrible in there because they've just been there for a long time. So the process part of that becomes, I'm going to care my way through this role. I'm going to notice a little bit more. I'm going to come away from the day thinking, gosh, okay, what am I grateful for? What, you know, if you want to be as strict as what did I achieve today without it becoming very rigid is, you know what, today, um, I learned that, you know, this, this, this life hack is good. Well, it might not be anything to do with my productivity at work, but I can, you know, manage something a little bit better. Or if I can put this slot into this, you know, I don't know, examples are completely gone out of my mind here, but simplistic stuff like the toaster and numbers, I just have more information about something and life becomes a little bit simpler because the toast isn't underdone or overdone. I now know the exact minute that I want to put it on. Um, yeah, you know, so some, I, yeah, I could have given better examples there, but I can't, they're all gone. But yeah, back to those, back to that way of thinking of um, caring your way through, through life, caring your way and not, not misconstruing that to be, I need to be soft and, and, you know, there needs to be like, I'm a pushover here. It's just enjoying the journey that you're on 
equivalent to the process to get to some outcome, which, as Liz has said already, is just a pit stop in the computer game. It's just your little flag saying this is the place that you'll resume the game in. This is your little timestamp. It's not the end point because that is a mirage. And carrying your way through life. What a, what a great quote. I love that. That's brilliant. That's really nice. I've just scribbled that down. Um, the, the, the example that springs to my mind, I'm a little bit obsessed with Drive to Survive. So I've not I've not come across this. I, I've, I'd seen it. I hadn't watched it until like the last couple of weeks and I've just caught up to season four. And what, what fascinates me is, and maybe this is where some of this thinking's come from recently, that they constantly... <laughs> I uh, know you yeah you've got you know you've got to have a really big race day and you've got to win and you've got a podium you've got to get points and all these outcomes and and then you wonder why there's these rookie drivers or these new guys and I, I um I can't think of his surname Alex the guy that was driving for Red Bull um a couple of seasons ago and like he's literally a rookie in the sport and then you've got Christian Horner as the team principal going up to him going yeah yeah you know you've, you've got to deliver this and I'm and then he wonders why he doesn't and I'm just going surely if if you are clearly a very intelligent and capable individual as a team principal for that long in a in a sport that is pretty cutthroat surely you'd recognize that maybe chucking all this pressure and expectation on a guy isn't actually that useful like like who's checking and challenging you and i'm sure like you get a snippet in in the tv show right so it's not there must be psychologists involved in this and performance coaches and other people that they're having conversations and you know who's christian being influenced by to to kind of have these conversations and who's in his network and that sort of stuff but it, it's just the way it comes across you're like yeah like no shit sherlock he's he's having a shit race because you've just hammered him like what 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 were you expecting to happen like when has that ever not been the case that you've absolutely crucified someone and then they've done really well for you like i just i, I it makes no sense to me but it still seems to be a very heavily reoccurring theme and just yeah just so counterintuitive i guess there was um one example of that is we sat in the room the other day at west ham and I asked uh, the players, we we're talking about a number of different areas of performance and kind of the mental skills and stuff. And we had a couple of people come in and share some ways of operating around red to blue. And at the end of the workshop, I asked who likes to receive feedback when something goes wrong in the game? And they asked, we talked about like feedback. What do they mean by feedback? And we got right into it. And all of them, all of them said they do not need to hear from somebody else what a crap pass they've made if they've missed a go an open goal or a goal so that they they were very aware that there's an accountability thing that i'm a professional footballer and if i'm open in front of a goal i want to put it in the back of the net what they said is i will critique myself immediately but if we're talking about going from a red space where we're um you know reacting in a certain way and we're not thinking clearly to wanting to go to a blue space and thinking clearly under pressure then how do I do that if five other voices are reminding me of the awful thing that's just happened? And yeah, and we're wondering, absolutely. So I wanted that to be, even though it's not the first time we've discussed it, I wanted a reminder for staff and players with either, you know, a simple hands up, hands down, and a couple of players really sharing openly that it really does impact me. And I, I am working on not letting it linger. So please don't remind me. Whereas a couple of players said, you know what? I could do with a little nudge. I don't mind. So just, you know, if you get out. So we had this again, going back to what works for each individual, understanding the individual. But as a collective, the majority turned around and said, listen, 
I get enough from the crowd, they said. I don't need, I don't need. And social media will remind me later. So in between, let's all stick together and the coaching staff, let's keep going. So it could just be a positive cue that kind of moves me from red to blue, but not necessarily critiques what's just happened. It's just information passing. I was available here, got you on the left, you know, keep going, next ball, those kind of things. I love that. It's fascinating. I was just thinking actually the bit, I think I'd have been the other way that I, I really dislike even now when people say it, I'm like, what, why do we need to say anything? Because they'd be like, Oh, you know, focus on the next one or chin up or, you know, and I'm just like, no, like, why, why do I need, why do you need to tell me that? Why can't we just go something happened and I made a mistake and we'll all, we'll all just move on. Like you don't need to, you, because it's such a nice intention. It's like, uh, this is what I've got to do to be your teammate and to be your friend and to get you back in the game and give you a tap and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, don't, don't do any of that. Like, just let me get on with it and then we'll get on with the game. And we, because it almost makes it this bigger deal when everyone's going, oh no, don't worry about it, Phil. Don't worry. You'll catch it next time. And I'm like, Oh yeah, cheers. Thanks. Thanks for that. Like, please don't. So, I mean, long time retired, so I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. But it's still one of those things that I hear it all the time and go, what, why, why do we say stuff? And I'm really conscious of trying not to do that, of, of not being that coach that's like stood there in the train and, you, you know, someone drops the pass as they're going into score and you're just like, oh, you know, next time, don't worry, don't worry. And it's like, well, what are they going to do by me saying, don't worry? They're probably going to worry that I've noticed it. And that, you know, our oh, selection's going to be affected by that or whatever. Like, did, I can just shut up. That's probably a really good idea. Um, yeah. Go on, Liz. It's, like, it's interesting just listening to, to you and Jenny. Of If you flipped that, so I've got a bit of an outdoor ed background. So we would to potentially focus more on the feedback is all the stuff you loved that went well, that you enjoyed, that worked. And I wonder if there's a challenge there for coaches. Not You know, because we all know, you know, the three of us and everyone listening and all the kids we coach and the adults we coach they know when they you know when you've made a mistake you don't need someone else putting their rubber stamp on it just because they think they've got to use their rubber stamp um but imagine if the questions were what what bit did you really like what 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 which, which bit of the game did you have the most amount of flow where where was where was a really feel good bit ask them some of those questions and don't say anything about the other bit see what happens because they know right if you've got a good training schedule you can work on the gaps but sometimes if people aren't feeling it, you know, if they come in and this, this goes back to an, the earlier discussion around understanding the people that we're coaching and working with, that they could just be having a bad day. Um, they could have had some other news that's got nothing to do with the session. That's completely got their mind distracted. They're not paying attention. So actually their reflection might be, actually, uh, I enjoyed the game, even though we lost, um, because it took me out of all the other worries for the rest of the week. For them, that was a good game then. Let's not focus on the score too much. And I know we do want to focus on the score, but that's because we're very um, end goal orientated. We tend to want to, what's the what's the bit? But we forget about the, the positive stuff for people. So there you go, there's a challenge. Don't ask anything about what can we do better. Just, just ask them what they enjoyed, what was brilliant. What was, you know, when did they have real good flow? What was funny? Was there something funny they noticed? Um, I don't know, who noticed the funniest other player on the pitch what was something the other team did that you thought was brilliant you know some of that stuff is a whole different conversation and much more positive and strength-based I think I think that's great and my mind just jumped to actually could you almost then just well we, we've got to an open goal so how do we get there 
you know, focus on what you, okay, the end point wasn't what we wanted, but at least, at least we've created a chance, right? So how, how did we create the chance? How can we focus on the technical or tactical bit that, that got us to that and do it again? Um, yeah. Well, go on, Jen, are you going to jump in? No, cool. Okay. Um, I think we will pause that one there because I'm conscious we could we could talk about this all day. And this is always the challenge with the pod, but it just gets longer and longer every week. But um, I don't like halting good discussion, but I think we will. So, uh, Liz, we will jump over to you. Um, what is it you're going to talk us through? So I want to talk to you about um, something that helps challenge the myth. I think it's a myth. Uh, that you can't learn to be creative or innovative. So I often hear, so my uh, my day job is as an innovation officer. Oh, you're so creative. Oh, you're really good at innovating. And, and sometimes it's this, like it's I have like I have a magical thing that I was sprinkled one day with, with some innovation dust and I wasn't. Um, I don't know if that was happening anywhere around the world, but I, I wasn't there. Um, I've learned strategies and I just wanted to share a resource that I've got that helps people to learn strategies or one that I've really kind of dug into it's called thinker toys it's by michael mccalco uh, and it's subtitled as a handbook for creative thinking techniques okay and the book is chock-a-block full of strategies and ways that you can be more creative and then innovate whatever you're doing okay so i believe that you can teach yourself these skills practice these skills strategies techniques frameworks whatever they are and that will help you become more creative and more innovative. You then have success. Therefore, you feel that you can do more of it, be braver, take more chances, be more curious, ask more awkward questions, whatever it might be. So I love Thinker Toys. Um, just as a side note, I would also recommend if anyone does, isn't interested in a tome, because it is quite a chunky book, um, they have innovated as a product. And they have something called Think Pack. So it's by the same guy, Michael McCalco, and it's a brainstorming card deck. Now this brainstorming card deck uses one of my favorite innovation tools or strategies or mnemonic. And it's a mnemonic called Scamper. So if you remember that word Scamper, and I've recently done, uh, last month I did something on Twitter. I had a whole month of ideas for boosting your creativity and innovation. And there were seven days that I did this Scamper mnemonic. So Scamper stands for, imagine the capital letter, of that word. So if you want to be more creative and you have an idea, you could, to innovate, substitute something in that idea. You could combine it with something else, adapt something in it. You could modify or magnify, or a bit of a made up word, minify, make it smaller. Um, P would be put it to another use. How could you use it in a different place? E is eliminate something. So chop something off, remove something. And the R for scamper is reverse or rearrange. So mix up the order of what you're doing. Now, I, this applies to coaching, this applies to education, this applies to learning stuff that I do, anything you've got. You know, if, you, if you're, I don't know, um, rearranging your house because you're having renovations, think about how you, if you wanted to do, be a bit more creative in how you used your house, what might you do for that? So um, I love it. I think I think it's a great, model I use it all the time as a, as a as just a list of things of prompts of how to think differently and that's all I use it for pretty basically I do other stuff first I tend to keep an ideas book and I have actually a book a good old paper hard copy book I have a digital folder um 
I use kind of social media likes and kind of lists for stuff as well. So I've got a couple of reference points where I see stuff. Um, and I tend to collect things that I love, that I think is really clever and I love. Doesn't matter if it's not to do with what I'm working on now. I know that by seeing more things, loving more things, being curious, oh, who's that person? I might see what that, oh, what's that? I'm gonna oh, save that, I'm gonna save that web link, wherever it might be. And I can go back to it at another time, it might be useful for me. But what it's also doing is it's broadening my experience of what else, how other people do this. So I'm learning, noticing, paying attention to what others do and then seeing how does that apply to me? How can I use that? Is that useful for me? I'll quite often have a go, it doesn't work, bin it off, fine. That's just first draft, right? That's not failure, that's just first draft, get rid. And then I'll try again with something else. Um, but I love it, I think it's a great little analogy. And this book, Think Toys, it's got loads of other ideas in it. I, there's probably, I don't know, over a hundred different things recommended in it because for each model they have, they've got sort of three or four ways that you can use it. And they give some top tips, they're really practical. They give lots of examples of how things have been done in other companies. So, you know, it's the, the good old adage, I, I always find it a bit, um, a, a, a bit of an unusual one. So I grew up in Australia, I never heard this until I came to the UK. So I don't know if it's a European American thing, I don't know, but the whole kind of, you know, um, we would never have invented um, the motor vehicle if we just wanted horses to go faster, right? So it's that thing of, um, you've got to think differently about a problem. Um, and one of the key ways to do that is to get different points of view, to see the world from a different point of view. Um, it also ties into, I was reading this week, I was in a coffee shop. My son goes to a, 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 a class in an evening, I've got an hour and a half, I was in a coffee shop. And I was, I'm also currently reading Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed. And he, he had a whole thing on innovation, a whole chapter. Um, and again, a lot of that resonated with me about um, having more diverse thinkers. And that means you need people from different backgrounds, different experiences. Um, they quote in the books, you know, different uh, people who are famous for being innovators, but actually there's a really high percentage of them who are immigrants because they've had a different experience growing up. So they see the world slightly differently. You don't need to be an immigrant to um, innovate. You just need to be able to see the world differently to maybe the challenges and problems that are being put in front of you. I love it. That sounds fantastically practical, which is always, I think, a real positive. I guess my first question is how, and, and in both of your experiences, how do you overcome the resistance to change? Is that that's still one I hear like all the time, right? So you, you, people want to be innovative and, you know, the, the classic organization when you ask, well, why do we do it this way? And it's because this is the way it's always been done and that sort of thing. And people just, I, I don't think it's deliberately, you, you kind of just get, you know, like assimilated into the like the machine don't you this is this is just how the business works or how coaching works or how sport works and how how do you overcome those challenges or get people to um to be a little bit more receptive to the creative thought process for me phil it's about starting for myself and i just do it so i just start but i also acknowledge that other people find it quite intimidating or scary or daunting because you are threatening the status quo sometimes which quite often can be misinterpreted as I am right you are wrong if that makes sense so there's a bit of a threat there so I um I just do it it's just part of my daily practice as me as a person it's not an extra thing I do I don't come in as an innovation warrior right let's change everything we can and change the culture in three weeks not going to happen right uh, culture's a long game if you want to change it you know, five, 10, 20 years sometimes. Um, but I think it starts with just role modeling it and role modeling um, how to be when it doesn't go right. 
because if we're going to learn and develop and evolve, we're going to have to cast some stuff off. Those first drafts sometimes get left as first drafts and we never do anything with them. And um, the second thing is, is acknowledging when people have given a new idea a go or they've thought about something differently. You know, there's nothing wrong saying, do you know, what? I really like that new idea you put forward. That's a really simple thing to do is to acknowledge and say, thank you for adding that in to a meeting. Um, it can sometimes be about how you actually organize the space. So I'll give an example. Um, lots of, I don't know, whether if, if you have a meeting, so it might be a, a team meeting, a coach meeting, whatever it might be, and you want some, maybe want some new ideas for the season or new ideas for something that you're wanting. So you're wanting to, oh, can we do something a bit different? So you've got a problem you want solving and you don't want the same old, same old. Um, you've got to be aware of the hierarchy in the room. So a new phrase I learned recently, hippo, highest paid person in the room, that person, because of our biases, has a lot of influence. If they speak first, you're probably going to kill off a lot of innovation, innovative thought, because people don't want to disagree with their leader because we're conditioned to do that, right? Unless it's a super secure, psycho psychologically safe environment, if that makes sense. But let's, let's not pretend that all places are like that. So number one, leaders don't speak first. <laughs> leaders don't give ideas first. Give away that everyone can give their ideas without necessarily... Um, initially having to identify them so something i've used um online has been uh google jamboard so an ideas generation it doesn't put your name it doesn't say jenny's put this idea phil's put this idea liz has put this idea it just their ideas and there's no tagging so it's not oh I, actually i better pay attention to phil because he's the expert in the room so therefore you have more waiting with respect phil maybe your ideas are fabulous but maybe on that day they're not so great because you're not having a good day you're not feeling it yeah um have you been so in a any, room with me? That, that happens quite regularly. <laughs> no, I love you, Phil. Okay, but it's it's that thing, right, of um, we default to the expert. We assume because they're more expert than us or, or they've been doing it longer. We have all these biases that kick in. So if you can remove some of those, so doing doing stuff anonymously, yes, you can do uh, post-it notes and put them on a flip chart, all that kind of stuff, but do it where they don't put their name or do it where it just goes in a pile rather than on a board. So everyone gets mixed up and then you group them together. So think about how you can remove out some of those bits. And then that starts to create a culture of how you do ideas. The next thing would be use some clear strategies to how to do this that you commonly use. So what quite often happens is I've got a, we've got a problem, let's have a brainstorm. Nothing wrong with that. Whether you want to call it thought shell brainstorm, don't mind. That whole idea of dumping ideas, right? We need to make sure that we don't just go with the most popular one, the first one that we think of. We need to resist the urge to go with the first good sounding idea. Okay, brilliant, that's a good idea. What else have we got? And keep going. You then look at those ideas, do a bit of a quick evaluation. You could do an in-depth one, but in reality, it's gonna be quick, right? Choose a couple and then look at the pros and cons and actually look at how this would work. So I've got a great strategy. You get one minute or two minutes to come up with as many ideas as possible. And everyone does that individually. Everyone does that individually. There's no influence of, you know, different people in the room, different experts, et cetera. They all come together. You then as a group might sift through, which are your top three. Okay, how, and then how can we do these, these three ideas in 10 different ways? So let's not even go with that idea being the way to do it. So then they've got it. You've then got lots and lots of different um, things that you could be evaluating and ranking and working out what you're gonna do. The key thing is to acknowledge that in the room, if you've got 10 people who've all had the same life experiences or very similar life experiences, you're gonna come up with pretty similar ideas. What you're really looking for is a mixed group of people. 
So bring in the new apprentice. Don't be thinking, oh, he doesn't know anything or she doesn't know anything. Bring them in because they will bring a different perspective. Okay, so I'm mid to late 40s now. I want to hear young people's voices because they have a completely different experience of the world. Um, they also have grown up in modern day, modern day UK. I grew up in Australia in the 70s and 80s. They're different, I have different cultural references. Their ideas about things, we might be similar, but they will have more specifics. I wanna know what those are, but I don't want to downplay them just because they're 18, 15, however old they might be. So it's about bringing in that variety of people, bringing different people around the table for ideas. Does that make sense? So that, that, that will be how I would look at that. You, but basically just start. Don't feel you have to have it as a big corporate agreement plan. Just start it with the behavior, praise people who are doing it well. Do you know what this sounds like coaching, Phil? Do you know what I mean? Just start. Encourage people to be positive about the new behaviors of trying new things, coming up with new ideas, not worrying too much if it doesn't work, um, and just keep them progressing along a bit of a, you know, we're doing this to make things better. There's some brilliant top tips. I've, I've just been scribbling the whole time. So thank you. They're really, really interesting. I think I, the, the bit you touched on around the, the hierarchy and I guess all, also the social dynamics, I always think play a huge part in, as you say, who what weighting do you allocate to certain people and in a team I think that's just something we naturally you know the kind of the community practice the old timer or just the experienced individual that that probably does still do this, this the same things the way they've always been done because that's got them a living or it's it's meant that they were successful or they've done something and I often wonder if if that's why the community game constantly kind of peers over the fence at professional sport going what what, what can we take like what's the next new idea and you kind of go like why why are we not finding our own ideas because professional sport isn't the sport we play so what, why are we obsessed with this kind of borrow and steal and and we'll just transplant something that was created in a completely alien environment to ours and expect it to work so yeah bizarre go on let's jump in so i find that interesting that you talk about that so this is something that i've always tried to advocate so community sport looks at um professional high performance as a different environment. Why are they looking at other industries? Why are they looking at dance? Why are they looking at the arts? Why are they looking at um, community groups and nature wildlife-based charities and how they're creating movements for other stuff? Because community sport is very much around participation, retaining people, keeping them involved in the game. It's heavily reliant on volunteers. That's not saying high performance doesn't have a level of that, but sometimes you talk about, just because the sport is the commonality, doesn't mean you couldn't learn, for example, from scouting or girl guiding or you know the wildlife trust about how they work with their um, volunteers how do they raise money how do they do events how, how have they evolved during times where there's big change going online all that kind of stuff and so sometimes I, I do encourage where else are you looking look outside of this great big tent of sport and look somewhere different don't be obsessed with thinking that gold medals work at participation level because they don't always and they quite often don't actually so that's my top tip as well and that's about widening your perspective oh without throwing you under the bus here jen how do you find football for this type of stuff because i i, I mean i love the fact that well-being is is part of your role role but i would presume that's not particularly common so how how have they adapted to you as a group coming in and maybe challenging ideas and, and doing some new stuff and you know taking on information that that is probably quite quite new um it is new um i don't know many teams who have 
somebody or anybody in that role that has um, the flexibility to not only keep it on the agenda and to be, be made accountable. So there's, you know, a budget, there's conversation, there's exploration. Um, I think there's some men's and women's teams in in football that have maybe a mental health expert or they have a sports psychologist, but they'll keep that remit quite small. Um, if I give you the vision of somebody coming in with massive tennis racket shoes on and stomping their way around the environment, that's what it looked like originally. Here she comes. What's she going to talk to us about? What does she want us to do? Why are we juggling? Why are why are all the staff and players juggling? What has she just like put her finger in the air today and thought, mm, and today? Um, and so we explored and uh, we have a TED Talk Tuesday or Thursday, depending on our day off. We've got a workshop Wednesday because we do want to have an, an opportunity to educate ourselves. But, who, you know, who decides on those topics could be anyone, could be the players, could be a performance, could be the staff, um, could be me, you know, trying to trying to give as much information because education is a huge part. Um, going back to your question about football. I'd experienced it in the coach developer roles when I did work in a couple of um, different spaces with football coaches or coach developers, that it's very much, um, and this is probably not, I won't tarnish everybody with the same brush, but we have money come to us. We'll do, we do lots of CPD, but they come to us. And so I, because I knew that existed in a small pocket I've been exposed to, I said, <laughs> we're getting out of here. <laughs> we're not staying here and bringing everyone to us. And exactly what, like what Liz has just said there exactly like what Liz has just said there it's about finding opportunities to go outside so there's the sharing element and the being vulnerable there's the network element there's the really Bobby basic stuff of plan do review but the extra bit of that is the new plan do review new experience bring it back into the plan again and see what what stirs up and if we keep staying with inside our own sport doing our own tech tax stuff and not looking outside the the idea that human connection and human relationships are transformative so and I, I so I, I share that with the players all the time so we do fun friday karaoke um, card games uno coloring um there was a, a comedian that came in a little while ago during the rainbow laces um campaign rosie jones and I think, you know, she laughed when she came in. I think she's expecting for the environment to be like, yeah, you're in a professional environment. Look at all our serious faces. And we're walking around sweating all the time in our really cool gear. And here we were singing along to Adele, colouring in, <laughs> you know. She's like, whoa, what is? And I was like, well, we're setting up our day. We're talking about our intentions. We're, you know, paying a few compliments across. You know, we're challenging a few norms. We're having really deep, rich conversations with different people each time. And then we'll go into prehab and then we'll go on the pitch and do our work. And then we'll do our reflections and our recovery and our, our gym and our nutrition and all those other you know, components of of great professional sports people. But the connection is important. And like the the whole idea that, and again, back to Anna Stoddard's work, that everything we encounter, we can choose to adapt it, we can choose to adopt it, or we can choose to reject it. Um, or or we might just we might just do that. We might just go any of the three, some of the two, we might dive into it, but it's the pause moment. It's being present in the moment 
if I'm in the room with Liz and I'm having a conversation or I'm listening to this podcast, I'm present in that moment. And then I'll start to feel or think about something that's not right or right or interests me. And like uh, this happens to me all the, mo- all the time at home, which is probably detriment to my wife, really. We want to bake off the professionals. Can I cook? No. Can I bake? No. Can I do anything in the kitchen other than tidy up and do what I'm told? Um, yeah. So no. <laughs> so we want to bake off the professionals and the feedback from the two judges blows my mind every time. This, I wouldn't eat this. This is, and here we go to coaching and we're like, be gentle, you know, be careful, sandwich effect. And, you know, I'm hearing people challenge the sandwich effect recently and kind of go, we need to be a little bit more direct and blah, blah, blah. So I listen to that. I'm like, whoa, big off professionals. They're doing this. This is the teamwork. Then I might watch Glow Up, which is a another reality TV about people doing makeup, but they're critiqued on what they do. They come up and they go, this, this is awful. And I'm like, oh, oh, the person, the person, how can you do that? So it's me trying to see different ways that in different industries, people use this. Now, this is for a show. It's TV. It's edited. But what we want to have is perspective on how things are done and diversity of thought. So we then have the choice, but we have variation. It isn't that dichotomy of it's this way or this way. There's a multitude of things on that continuum that we can pick up and drop and trial in our own environment, like you were saying, Phil, and not just going, uh, you know, the peer over the fence or the copy and paste coaching or the Subutio coaching, as I call it. So I've definitely challenged with my tennis racket feet. Uh, some ways of operating and I think we do have from a player and, and staff point of view this idea that connectivity is really important the transformational leadership yes we need that the coach athlete relationship absolutely fantastic we need that but by just having five more female members of staff this year we have diversity of thought we have some interns that have come into the team that are absolutely amazing that are coming from different universities with really fresh research and ideas that are feeding in so it, you know and everybody has a voice so that's that's what we're trying to do. It is a utopian. There's lots of stuff we need to keep working on. Um, but like it's it's happening and the players are noticing and the staff are noticing about themselves and each other. I love that, Jen, because you're you're kind of describing scamper through the work that you do. So you're talking about if you're th- thinking about um sort of adapting something or substituting something, you know, if you've got Rosie coming in who's a comedian. I wouldn't naturally put um, football, footballers development and comedian together, but there's something that both can learn and it's about how you pull that out or it's, you know, your examples of watching different programs for how they do feedback. So you're sort of thinking about, okay, how does, how does that work? How do we magnify one bit of feedback or how do we minimize and minify another bit? Um, it might be about reversing the order. Are we are we not going to do feedback? We're going to do do it first, even like you could. Uh, what what would we want to be saying? How could you flip some of that? Um, and I, so I think that quite often we think about that we can be innovative what we do as well as the stuff that we make. So it doesn't always have to be a new game or this or that. It could be how we use it. So you're using coloring, singing. Um, I don't know, juggling, yo yo yo's that kind of stuff you know, you're using that to create a different environment for players. They've not had it before. So it feels initially, it feels quite hard and awkward and push, maybe pushing against it. But as they get used to it, you'll then be able to bring in more things, a variety of things, increase the spectrum of yes, where. And- absolutely, Liz. And 
I meant to say at the start when I before I came in on my little my little rolling rampage like I have the privilege of being um friends with Liz so um I know that every single conversation because she's a sharer um every single conversation we have she'll share she'll share um new things that have happened I'll come in and I might leave a voice note in the group and I'll be like right listen I'm thinking about doing this and I said have you thought about this have you thought about that so I'll bang back to the very first point again having somebody in your support network that you can be open and honest and vulnerable with but also that willingness to share and I'll equally say that if I said something and Liz said oh I don't know about that but have you tried it this way yeah, I'll take it. I'm not going to cry salty tears because Liz said don't do it. But it's the fact that she's she has this incredible way of looking at things. She's open to sharing and taking it on. So, yeah, anybody who hasn't experienced Liz's work, either through sketchnoting or now Scamper and the multitude of L&D spaces, um, yeah, definitely get on that train. I love it. Um, I'm really interested in, in how you both sell this type of stuff to the player. Um, and the analogy I use, and I probably need to find another one because the people listening will be bored of me saying this, but I, I often think of the Wizard of Oz and the wizard is just all smoke and mirrors, right? But there's someone behind the curtain pulling the levers and making it all work. And I think that's coaching, that at some point we have to explain to the players what that there is a curtain, for one, and that there is someone behind it and what the levers do. But the more you know about what happens behind the curtain, the more or the less impressive the wizard is because suddenly, you know, it's just not real and it's fake. So it, it, it's very much a case of what, well, how, how can I positively manipulate? Because I think a lot of coaching is doing that when you, you know what you're hoping for, but you've got to try and tease them and get them there and do all those types of things. Um, and the reason I ask is it's fascinating. I had feedback recently from a coaching role and um, some of the players didn't like the fact that I don't come up to them after they've had a bad game and say, don't worry about it. You know, you'll be, you'll be fine next week and crack on. And this blew my mind because I'm going, well, whose definition of a bad game are we talking about? Cause it, if I come up to you and go, oh, Jen, don't worry. You know, it wasn't a bad game. You'll, you'll be great next week. And you're like, what, who said they had a bad game? Like I've just absolutely destroyed you. And it was this real, just this, this kind of moment where you're like, how much do I need to tell them how this works? Like, do, do we need to sit down and work through some of the mechanics of this is why I wouldn't say some of this stuff, but if, but you're, you're frustrated that I'm not doing that. So if I then don't now do it, is that, does that cause a bigger problem? Like just, you know what I mean? There's so within one really quite small piece of feedback, there's just so much stuff to unpick. And I just, I wonder about how, how that might look in, in other environments, how you go about bringing, as I say, bringing people on board and, and again, inverted commas, selling it and actually just, just how much do they understand of the magic or how much do they understand of, you know, behind the curtain? It is magic though. It is magic. And I think you get the magic comes from, um, when I sit in a room and I, we have fun Friday and I see different people sitting together and laughing or uh, today we did a session where we had different teams and we were using the game articulate and they had a challenge within their small groups to try and get people to say what was on the card that's how the game works we didn't play all the rules on the board we said chunks of cards around the place so we got to look at communication we got people backing each other and we had a little bit of a crew when they went off against each other um, usually different positions and units that are mixing and matching but the buy-in part for me 
um, the underpin of that is trust and to build trust I'm authentic so there's no smoke and mirrors there I share what we're doing and why we do it education is a massive part of it but without it being classroom I'm very conscious that if I go into the presentation room which we're privileged to have and we have a massive big screen that I don't always sit at the top and go with the screen I connect the laptop we'll have music on we might do it in their chill room and the TED talks might be casual and everyone's on the couches so we have an authentic version of me that's consistent um, there's logic to why we do it, which is the education piece. Um, and then there's empathy. I feel the room. I try and feel how things have landed. I ask for feedback. I look at people and I notice when things, you know, I think things are going in a certain direction. It's still only my version of it, but that's what I tried to pick up on. And Francis Freight has a great TED talk on building trust. If anybody wants to check that out and it kind of expands on some of those points, but that's really what's important for me. I'm, I'm not trying to be a car saleswoman while I'm in the room trying to go, let's try and sell you a TED talk. If they like, if I feel like I played one, which I did a couple of weeks ago, which I think is a brilliant one. The message is amazing. You could see them, some of them slouching. It was over 12 minutes. They then went, oh, this lad doesn't have much about him, Jen, does he? And I was like, I've lost them. Pause. Right. Okay. <laughs> Who's on next week's one? Next week, uh, one of the girls, one of the women just says, I'm going to pick one. They pick a three minute one and it's a great message, uh, but it's really short. And I go, right, message received, ladies, message received, rewind. But they're leading it. They're leading the sessions. They're asking, can we have stuff there? Um, we did something for the Ukraine recently. They wanted to drive that, it, you know, and I, if I can facilitate that. Um, and I just the fun element, bringing that back in. So it's not eerie dreary, you know, it's just having a bit of fun. And if you walk into our environment and we're, you know, loud, smiley, laughter's happening, different people are mixing oh, gold, absolute gold for me. And that was what I think the magic part of that is. So the buy in is just being myself. But obviously I'm doing loads of research and it's underpinned. I'm not just, you know, willy nilly picking up a random game and going, right, on the table, here we go. I'm observing and seeing opportunities for us all to learn and they understand why we're doing it as well. I wholeheartedly agree with Jen around being authentic um, and just do what you do. Just be open with the players. So I more often work with coach developers and other people working within physical activity industry. Um, just be open with them of why you're doing it. That's not that you have to explain whatever. So for example, I don't have to explain the finer points of Scamper every week. They just know that I use models for it or I'm following something, or I'm trying something new. Just be honest about that. And then I would, uh, you know, the example you gave, Phil, just reverse that. If that player wants something different, let them know that you're open for them to coming and asking themselves. So, because it might be that one week they like it, the other week they don't. Okay, I'm going to put then the trust in you to come and ask me. Um, so that's flipping a traditional way of looking at the hierarchy of who gives feedback to who or who asks for it. So you could flip it around. I, th I think it's a really interesting thing. When you talk about the magic of this, for me, connection is the magic superpower that we have as humans. So if we have good relationships that are authentic, that doesn't rely on power structures, um, then we're on a really good on a really good start, if that makes sense. The thing is, we may have people that we work with, they join a team or they come into, a, into an organization that haven't come from that. So that will be, they'll be maybe a little bit slower to trust that they won't have their psychological safety broken because maybe they've had it before. Um, but for me, I wholeheartedly agree with Jen, be who you are. And if someone comes to me and says, Liz, um, this all feels a bit warm and fuzzy. And I go, okay, when you say warm and fuzzy, what you probably mean is connection, relationship building. Can I just give me five minutes? I'm not going to give them war and peace on all the research around the importance of connection and relationships and how we do it and what. 
but I will give them a snippet and say, happy to have a chat, happy to send you something if you want. Because remember, any of these players are, they, they could go off into other industries. And so we always talk about, oh, look at the transformative nature of sport. So let's help them transform by our good practice of sharing the magic behind the curtain so that they can take it with them. But also many of them will become the leaders of the next, you know, in the next five years, the next 10 years, they'll be the change makers. They'll be, they'll be the ones who go, do you know what? I love working with Jen. I love working with Phil. I love their approach. That's how I want to be. And then we're slowly evolving and we will change the culture of what we're wanting to do. And sometimes innovation is tiny steps on a consistent, regular basis. What a wonderful way to sum it up. Um, I'm conscious of both of your times, but um, Liz, just just talk me through KitKat because um, you were very, very generous and we didn't get to it, but you did send Jenny and I um, some KitKats and I am fascinated to know why, other than just being a really nice gesture and not to say that, you know, I can be bought, but you are the only guest so far to have sent me sweets and you are definitely my favourite guest. So, you know, causation and correlation, um, you know, sorry, Jen, I hate to, you're, you're my second favourite, Jen, so it's fine um but yeah so yeah hit me hit me up why 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 Kit Kat and uh, why why did you send us the stuff so two reasons one I'm obsessed with collection so I want to make a good impression on you Phil so something that's unique and memorable about me if I'm really honest that's very self-serving okay number one number two Kit Kat so I like the idea of the whole innovation and let's use the scamper models that I go on about all the time check out my Twitter I've got it on there I've got I always doing stuff about about it recently um it's everywhere. If you look at any sweets counter, whether that's a supermarket, petrol station, wherever, there's loads, right? And there are KitKat is a great example of how you can see the kind of scamper idea in action. So when we talk about KitKat, I don't know, did KitKat start with four fingers? I think they did, right? So it started, I, li I live up near York. So we've got the, we used to have the, the big factory up here you know, Kit Kat Crescent for the football team, et cetera, right? So Kit Kat's been something that's a little bit in my mind. And they have lots of their products. If you were to buy all of the Kit Kat products, so Phil, what did I send you? Phil, I sent you a chunky Kit Kat. So that is an example of a four-fingered Kit Kat being modified and made bigger. So bigger, they've, they've maximized it. But they've not only done that, because I think I actually sent you the popcorn salted caramel one. So they've also combined it with something else does that make sense so not just salted caramel which was a thing but they've added the popcorn one in as well so that is a whole so for Kit Kat, that's a new product for them but they know they've got people who love the four fingers whatever it's a different thing but there'll be new people who go oh i like that um what else do i send you i sent you mini eggs so obviously it's this time of year easter's around the corner um they're thinking, okay, we want to um, combine this with something else or potentially adapt it to something. So we're going to adapt it to the Easter season. So you've now got little Kit Kat mini eggs. Brilliant. They're in a sharing pack. That's what they say anyway. That's not always how I treat those packs. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's so, not going to be shared, put it that way. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. But but if you think about it, so for me, um, I would might, might buy a pack of those and then use those as part of my Easter egg hunt that, that we do on on, on Easter Sunday, okay, out in the garden. So Kit Kat, I'm not gonna obviously plunk um, four finger ones outside because that doesn't fit with what I'm doing, but they've just brought a different variety into me that feels a bit more grown up, if I'm talking about, it's not that grown up, but it feels different to maybe another pack that I might have. Jen, I sent Jen some as well. So both of you got some. So Jen, you got Kit Kat Bites, and I think they're the milk chocolate ones. 
Um, I actually also picked up, I think it was a dark chocolate or a caramel one, so they had different flavor. So this is Kit Kat modifying again, but instead of doing the Kit Kat chunky, the big one, they've made them small, small little bites. Again, meant to be shared, Jen, just saying. How are they, Jen? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Mouthful. Mouthful. Oh, um, Good, amazing. I know. Um, I haven't done any. I'm on a sugar ban. Hilarious. And then I also sent I also sent Jen um the four finger Kit Kat. So more of the original product, but it's orange flavored. So they have um combined it with something else. Okay, so they've added it in. And if you actually even just looked at the four fingered ones, they've got a zebra one. So they've done a different pattern. It looks different. There's a caramel one, I think. There's a gold one. So for example, I might use the gold one as a thank you in lieu of a, I say gold medal. Obviously I'm working participation much more, but I might give that as I, I value it with gold. You know, I might do something fun with that. And um, I've also seen in the past, couldn't find one this time around, but I've seen in the past where, they, where Kit Kat have paired up with a, a breast cancer research charity. Can't remember which one, don't wanna name the wrong one fabulous work but they made it pink because so they again combined for a different purpose so the outcome is also about raising money however it's all Kit Kat with a biscuit with chocolate around it they've just done different things with it and my challenge is now that you've sort of seen that from a Kit Kat point of view you will see food companies are amazing at this it's everywhere so someone said to me oh Maltesa do that yeah of course they do because they can do more of their product because the main purpose is they want to sell to us but from a sales point of view for us in coaching learning education that's about making change of behaviors we also want to do something so how do we use KitKat as a bit of inspiration and think about how we might change what we do and it doesn't always have to be instead of KitKat they have all of these things on offer at the same time they don't get rid of the one they no longer want they keep that because they've got loyal followers of that it's not about replacing and getting rid of the old version they keep it. I'm sure they have lovely sales tracking, you know, monitoring stuff where they go, actually, um, that one isn't, that disappears off, right? Um, but yeah, it's just an example. I thought I'd treat you both. I thought it's a real life applied example of how Scamper might be used. I'm not saying KitKat use it, but it's an example of how their R&D team will be innovating. You know, who knows what they might be doing next? You know, maybe, maybe there'll be a KitKat subscription in the post coming soon. Oh no! What a brilliant example! Thank you, and and thank you very much for sending it. Um, I I I love the fact that the, the key point in there for me is they've not binned off the original, right? Because I I, and my mind would jump to that when we talk about innovating, which we're constantly talking about moving everything forward. But actually, what is what is that foundation that you're built off? What what does what don't you want to change? when you can still be innovative and creative and doing all of these things without actually manipulating too much around what, what got you there in the first place. So I think that is a wonderful, wonderful point. Um, cool. So just to round up, um, top recommendations and where, where can people find you um, and follow you and all those types of things. So um, go on, Jen, jump in. Now you've finished. Yep. Coolio. Yeah, no, I, I've never had any Kit Kat today. So no, <laughs> I know, you know, I'm a liar. They were fabulous. Thank you, Liz. Um, Mitsa Sports Coaching, um, you can find it on Amazon and nice. This is another one small little plug. It's only, it's, it's between 14 and 17 pounds. It's never gone over that. Um, I know some of the companies 
charge absolutely extortionate money, especially for the quality of people that are in here and the academics and the practitioners. So Amazon or Sequoia is the publisher. You can find it there um, and Waterstones are doing it as well. Another small one here, there's a, um, an insight review that's come out. Um, Sophia Jowett, um, Loughborough University, Sports England are behind it as well. And Leanne Norman, Leeds Beckett University. Uh, it's called Improving Gender Equity in Sports Coaching and Insight Review. And there's some great practical examples with kind of a background, some changes, and then that have happened over time, and then some practical um, small little steps that you can make within your environment. So I'm happy to circulate that. So you can find me on Twitter. Um, or you can drop me an email, jennycody at gmail.com. I love good old email and I'm happy to hop on a Zoom anytime with anyone. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So I'm easily found on Twitter. Um, I'm there sometimes, you know, depends on life, gets in the way how much I'm doing on Twitter. I can also be found on LinkedIn. Um, if anyone's interested in getting in touch around, I don't know, doing some of the sketch loading I do, I haven't really talked about that today. I know Jen mentioned it earlier. But if you want a different way, to do um, something with your team or your organization of helping them to think differently, get in touch. I'm happy to have a conversation, no problem at all. Um, and check out on Twitter. Like I said, last month, I did a, a month of innovation of lots of ideas. So there's, there's 28 ideas at least. Um, and even from them, I could probably do that one day every year, but you know, sometimes you've got to uh, give yourself a rest from the, from, and, and pause so that you can come up with more good ideas. Fantastic. Um, it's been absolute pleasure to chat with both of you thank you so much this has been yeah just really really enjoyable and i think the the biggest thing we kind of touched on right at the start just how practical um the elements you've both talked about are and i, I really hope people will, will genuinely take away loads and loads of pieces from this and uh, and try it and explore it and see see what happens and yeah hopefully they'll feed back as well always always great to hear from people in terms of how they're engaging with stuff so thank you very much um i will round up the roundup uh, to all those listening we hope you enjoyed the episode thanks again uh to liz and jen for coming on and contributing to a brilliant discussion links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on rugby coach weekly as always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. Bye.